we want to create that connection between the designer and their product. And we feel it happens right here in the studio. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Welcome to episode 60 of the Make It British podcast. Now, you're listening to this interview just after my Make It British live event, which happened last week, although I'm actually recording this episode a couple of weeks before the show. So I hope if you're listening to this, you came to the event. We are going to be doing a roundup on this Friday's podcast. So listen out for that. That's if I haven't crashed and burnt by then and I'm in a coma somewhere in the corner, just can't even focus or function because it's so incredibly tiring putting on that show. So I will be wiped out this week, which is why I have pre-recorded this episode. Now, if you came to the event, you may have listened to a panel discussion that we had about small batch manufacturing, which included today's interviewee. It's a lady called Diana Kakar, who runs a very high end small batch manufacturing unit in East London. And Diana has some amazing tips on this podcast for anyone who wants to understand about what it's like to make high-end small runs of fashion products in the UK, more more specifically in London. She works with some very high-end clients and also with startups, helping them to get their fashion business off the ground and offering them business advice. Because as you'll hear in this episode, she actually started off doing something completely different before she ended up going into fashion. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't manage to get to some or all of the talks at the event last week, don't worry because we recorded everything and we are going to make them available. In fact, I will be putting some of the talks onto this podcast. So listen out for those in the near future. In the meantime, let's get over to the interview with Diana. Diana, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely delighted that you've joined me. Um, I want you to start by telling everyone who you are, what your business is, and also who you run the business with. Okay. Uh, I am Diana Kaka. I run Maze London. It's a high-end garment manufacturing studio based in the heart of East London. I run it with my director, uh, co-director, Joshua Rosario, who's not on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm the more fun one, apparently. <laughs> we, we basically specialize in sampling and small production for luxury fashion designers. Brilliant. And your background is in luxury fashion, isn't it? Before you set the business up. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about where where you came from originally and why you decided to set up Maze London? Okay. Um, Well, I'm born in India. Um, My family still lives there. And um, I had only a few limited career options as 
most Asian families would have. I could either be a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer. Um, and because of that, I decided to go in between and I studied economics and business. I graduated and then made a deal with my parents that I wanted to study fashion. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, so you got the um, you got the academic degree out of the way. Exactly. Tick that uh, one off the list. Exactly. And I made, made sure my parents knew I would be fine. I had something to fall back on in case <laughs> my fashion career didn't, didn't take off as planned. Um, so I graduated from one of the top colleges in India and I got a few scholarships and I graduated top of the class and I decided to start my career in Sydney, Australia, uh, where I was working as a junior designer. And that was one of the most interesting experiences because we were working with a big buying house called Lee and Fung all oh, overseas. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know yes. Liam Fung, yeah. It was an amazing experience because, uh, you know, we were talking big orders right now and mm. big factories with, um, you know, an amazing production line. So um, my experience as a junior designer actually just whirlwinded into that of manufacturing and production. So my, my uh, concept of design always came from the manufacturing point of view. So that was Sydney. And then I moved to London because I believe that London always had this strong fashion identity and I just wanted to live it in my lifetime and um, now I call it home which is great Um, and I ended up working with lots of lots of young designers startups and some established designer my last stint before I started Maze London was with the luxury fashion house where I was managing their atelier um, you know making sure that everything for the runway show was made in house up to spec the design uh, the designers made was actually transformed into a proper toile and then finally into a sample so it was a big responsibility but absolutely loved it and in a great, great experience. Mm. So did you never want to be a designer? You always preferred working on the production side. Uh, that's a very good question. So most people who study fashion always think that I want to be a fashion designer. At yep. the end of yeah. Um, I never had that feeling, but I just got immense joy out of um, realizing dreams and visions for other designers and other people. So um, I, it was just very, I think it was a people pleaser quality in me, which came out and I was like, oh, great, I can do this for you and I can make it really easy. And that's how, that's how my job, my career started. So I was managing production for other designers and I was managing development for other designers and I really got a lot of joy out of that. It's probably also your background in economics and business meant that you you were very good at processes and things like that, which you need, don't you, when you're running manufacturing and production? You need to understand how kind of project management works. 100%. I mean, mm. uh, even when I was studying, I knew I was slightly different from my peers because, <laughs> I, one, I was older. It was my double degree. Um, two, because I always looked at fashion as um, not only just art, but an art with an intent to sell because I see so many designers developing, even, even with Maze London, we see so many designers developing a vast collection and we always advise them and guide them in house here that your intention should always be to sell them in order to continuously create new collections. That's so, so true. Yeah. So make sure everything's sort of commercial and saleable it's great to have the designer dreams isn't it but you also at the end of the day like you say you've got to sell a collection in order to fund the next one 
Fantastic. Exactly. That's that's our ethos here. Mm. So at what point did you decide that you were going to leave your job working in production for the other designer to set up your own manufacturing unit? So I was um, actually more involved with development than production uh, before I started Maze London. Um, and in the development process, it was a very simple process where the designer came up with the sketch. Uh, it was handed over to me. And then um, I, along with other pattern cutters, because we have different pattern cutters with different skill sets, uh, decided to make that into a toile, which is a first prototype. And um, this uh, prototype is then fitted and then we uh, sample it in the final fabric. And this is exactly what we started Maze London with. So this format. I um, see. So I took that whole vision and um, sep separated myself from uh, the set, my last job and started this process for young designers who may not have an atelier in-house. So uh, we have three core services, basically, where we do development, which is this process of sketch to sample, uh, sampling, which is a CMD sampling. And um, last year, late last year, we started doing production, so making multiple of the same product. Brilliant. Can I just go back on a point that you mentioned there that I thought was really interesting, mm -hmm. was about the fact that different pattern cutters have different skill sets and therefore a designer would have several different pattern cutters working for them. Can you explain to people exactly what you mean by that? Because I think sometimes there's an assumption that all pattern cutters can do everything and specialise in everything. So do you want to explain more about the different skill sets of pattern cutters? Of course, yes. Um, I think you can categorise pattern cutters and manufacturers under the same umbrella for this argument because we have uh, quite a few request when someone comes in and says, can you do outerwear? And we, as a manufacturer, don't do outerwear. And it just comes down to the skill sets that uh, each person, each technician would have acquired. So uh, answering your question about pattern cutters, pattern cutters can, of course, do patterns for everything, but they would have gained experience or specialized in a certain type of a garment over, over the last few years or over their career. So I always ask designers to find the right pattern cutter for their designs and not just go for a pattern cutter that they have found online. I, I always ask them to go and see some of their work, some of their examples, look at the quality of the pattern. That is quite important for me because um, this, is the this is the pattern which goes onto the graders. And if yeah. there's even a millimeter of a difference in a seam allowance or a notch movement, uh, you know, grading is multiplied across all sizes. So uh, that um, irregularity could be translated into five of your sizes and then translated into thousands of your units, uh, which manufacturers don't really enjoy. Yeah, tell me about it. I remember when I was a designer for Tammy Girl, um, I um, used to do the pattern cutting and my patterns were a little bit shoddy, I have to say. And, I'm sure. uh, <laughs> I'm really were. <laughs> no, and I used to have to go, luckily back then all the factories were in Hackney, a lot of them that we sent the patterns to. And yeah, if there was a problem with the grades and it was down to my original <laughs> pattern, I'd have to go and shave off the bit off each individual grade. <laughs> To make it right. So, so you understand the importance. Exactly. That's <laughs> why so I don't do pattern cutting anymore. <laughs> it, is, it is definitely a skill, a skill which I think is uh, much in demand in the London 
fashion yes, so industry true. right now, um, but not fully um, met. Actually, the supply and demand curve is not that high, and which is why you start seeing the same pattern cutters name circulating around the industry because uh, there are not many pattern cutters out there. Like there are not many good manufacturers out there too. Exactly. So I think if anyone is listening to this and they're studying fashion design, then they should really think about. Is it really designed that they're their true strength or could actually, could they go into doing pattern cutting instead? Because you can pick and choose your jobs, can't you, if you're a pattern cutter these days? Exactly. I mean, you can be a manual pattern cutter. You can be a digital pattern cutter working on Gerber or Lectra. You could be um, a creative pattern cutter or a production pattern cutter or, um, you know, the options The options are endless. So when you set up Maze London, did you did you do the patterns or did you bring pattern cutters in? To work so with you. I was quite deep rooted in the fashion industry because of my last job already. And um, it was a very seamless move um, into what, what I was doing right now. Um, I had lots of contacts who were freelancers. And because we were starting out as a new company, we didn't want to take anyone on board full time. So I'm trained to do pattern cutting, sewing and cutting. And I helped out wherever possible because all hands on board when you're starting a new business. Um, but when the demand started growing quite a bit and we had more than two clients, uh, we started getting external help and got my freelancers and uh, friends who were in the industry um, booked for the for our studio and there we, there we were. So you, you say you started with the, the two customers at the beginning. What does your ideal customer look like in terms of if someone's approaching you and they want to find someone that can help develop their product so what, what would they look like what should they bring to you so we have two types of customers right now uh, we work with quite a few london fashion week designers and um, these designers have an atelier already. So they come in with their tech bags, they come in with the patterns, they come in with the fabrics. If they don't come in with the fabrics, they know what fabric they are going to be using uh, for that style. And I think that's a really good format for any designer to um, come to a manufacturer where someone, uh, if, even if you do not have an atelier in-house, there are um, lots of fashion groups online, um, UKFT, I feel, is a very supportive channel, which is UK Fashion Textiles. Yeah. Um, they are very, very helpful with guiding people through. And what we expect is for the designers to have a tech pack, uh, which is a technical spec drawing of what they want us to make a pattern of and convert it into a sample. And if they did not have that, they have the pattern because we are CMT sampling, so we can use their pattern and use their fabrics. Um, and just information, visuals, um, if they don't know how to draw, find images of things that you like or find a sample um, that you like, perhaps a dress which you owned five years ago and you really like the shape of it because it's a timeless piece and you want that shape in a different sleeve and you know we could help you out with that. Anything which can be... Um, which can be a communication channel to translate your design to us. Yes. Yeah, so something that's visual and that shows either the quality of the fabric that you want or the finish of the seams and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So in reverse then, if I was a designer looking for a manufacturer, yes. what, what should I look for? So how would I know if I walk in the door at Maze London that you're the right manufacturer for me? 
so we are very different, we've been told. So, um, <laughs> which is great because, um, you know, we set ourselves apart already. Um, we are a young business, which means um, both in, the, we started only in May 2018. So we are fairly young, um, but we have over 32 accounts, active accounts right now. Um, we have eight people in the studio working and it can go up to 10 people when busy during busy times, which includes the two directors. Um, so when people walk in, it's a very open environment. It's a very transparent um, you walk into a studio, which is our office, and it's an open plan. So you'll be able to see fabric being cut on one side, fabric being sewn on the other side, garments being hand finished, and you know zips being put in. So it's a very hands-on experience as soon as you come in, and you can see where your clothes are being made and who is making your clothes. And for so us, important. very very important because um, you know we want to create that connection between the designer and their product, and we feel it happens right here in the studio. So in terms of equipment then, <clears throat> so you say, you know, for instance, you wouldn't do outerwear. Yes. What would someone be coming to look at? You know, one sewing machine might be just the same as the as another. So should they be asking you what sort of machinery you've got, how you're finishing things, what your quality control yes. checks are? So um, they should be asking what, first, it should be very clear what they want to produce or what fabrics they want to produce in. So we are known for a delicate fabric. So satin, silks, uh, crepe de chines, velvet, sequins. Um, we are also known for styles which are fairly complicated and other manufacturers may not want to take that style on because one of our styles had 72 pattern pieces in <gasps> different fabrics. So, oh my gosh. So, how, so, <laughs> how do you even begin to cut 72 pieces for one style that's amazing and you are you hand cutting all of that no so we've got uh different types of cutting equipment so we have um not the normal manual scissors we've got electric scissors we've got a straight knife uh this goes into the equipment of production we've got a roller uh, cutter as well so it depends on what we're cutting how many lays we're cutting because um uh so as you, you were asking about uh, what fabric, so we usually cut satins and silks, which are finer fabrics. So even if we're cutting 30 layers of them, it goes up to maybe only five or 10 centimeters high, um, which is not much. But if you were cutting 30 layers of a cotton twill or a gabardine, which is a thicker fabric, we wouldn't be able to cut it with our knife unless we reduce the number of lays. Um, so just so people know what a lay is, it's when yes, you, yes. it's each layer of fabric, isn't it? So the fabric is rolled out backwards and forwards and it's more economical to have more lays or more, le more a higher number of lays, isn't it? Because, That's right. Yeah, which is why I think, you know, um, people don't, don't understand why it costs more to make something in a small quantity and it's part of, partly for that. Exactly. So that's where your minimum order quantity starts uh, coming in for, mm. from manufacturer's point of view. So uh, as a company, we are supportive of young designers as well. And um, so apart from the uh, London Fashion Week designers, we have a very, very strong group of young designers that we are um, helping out with the sampling and production. And we try to educate them as to why minimum order quantities are important because it's not as if we need the X number, but it's where the economics of fashion comes in. And that's when they will get the best price if they order 
X number of units. So we, as a company, we said 30 units, but we're very flexible with that um, because we appreciate that some designers, especially when they're starting out, 30 units would be a lot. And what we don't want to do is to create stock for them to put in the bedroom and, you know, it will landfill eventually. So we rather make smaller units for them to sell through. And as soon as they sell through, they can top it up with us again. So with your background in business, do you offer business advice to designers as well when they come along? It's a very, very good question. So I had been um, advising a lot of business advice and creative advice. So I was helping them with their mood boards, their color boards, their vision boards, their client boards, and eventually helping them through to their tech packs. And this was all happening even before we took them on as a client. Um, and we were getting such positive re reviews about it and feedback about it. So we've launched a new product, which is the consultancy, which is uh, just workshops for designers in different levels, where it's a two-day workshop or a six-day workshop, depending on where you are and how far you want to achieve with your business plan. And we call it the sketch to sample workshop. Ah, okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. So the sketch to sample workshop is um, divided into two groups. It's a two day where um, in those two days, which can be split over two weeks or two months, depending on how fast you want to take your business plan. It's the business planning of your fashion business, per se. So uh, we don't talk about, uh, we focus on the colors, we focus on the brand, we focus on the product, we focus on the collection. And what we do is we help them um, simplify the collection a little bit because we've had designers come in with 40 sketches and they want to develop all the 40 sketches in one go. And we guide them saying which sketches are probably the stronger ones or which sketches are uh, probably leading to the second uh, version of it because you could because you could have a dress which is the same dress one is a sleeve version and one is a sleeveless version there is no point making both of them uh, we may we start with one and guide them through and until they're hundred percent happy with that we move to the next phase um, in our business and we're very conscious people and product are very core to maze london because we are conscious of what people want in their product and what's a product that we are creating for them eventually. Hmm. Wow, that's. I mean, that is a really much needed service, I think, and and it actually gives manufacturing in London a point of difference and a reason to stay manufacturing in London if you can work with a manufacturer that offers that sort of advice because you wouldn't get that if you were manufacturing overseas, would you? Exactly. The idea actually came across when one of my friends, um, who's a pattern cutter, and um, he's he's very well reputed and he's also a lecturer at one of London's leading fashion colleges and um, he was talking to me about a project he got and he was really excited about this project and it went off really well and um, the client was determined that the sample needed to be made overseas so the, pat the pattern and the first toile was made in UK but the sample was made overseas the sample came back and it did not look anything like the pattern that my friend made no. so uh, my friend's like oh they've used the wrong grain and this designer's like what do you mean they use your pattern they're like no no yes they did but they used the wrong grain so it's no they'd cut it oh, they cut do you want to explain yes please please yes, yes please. explain what grain is so a grain every fabric has a grain which goes up across or even diagonally um and that's what like 
Madeleine Vionnet's bias dresses were famous mm. for, you know, the different grains she used in her dresses. And the grain is very important for how the fab, how the garment eventually will drape or sit or stretch or not stretch. Um, and in this case, they had, they had cut the fabric the wrong way. So the product which came back was looking slightly different to how my friend had pattern cut it. Um, and this became like a you did this, he did this, she did this, you did this, he did this, she did this game. And everyone had a really sour taste at the end of it because my friend was really passionate about this product. The designer was passionate about the product. The um, the sample studio in overseas was not understanding the vision these guys had here. And it became, there were, I think it was three months, all the time, money and resources from the designer was spent between the shipment and there was no product at the end of it and no that's the problem isn't it that is what happens it's just a slight miscommunication and something so simple because when you have a grain of a fabric on the pattern you have an arrow don't you pointing which direction so obviously that hadn't been noticed and then the overseas manufacturer thought there was a different vision for the product and it's difficult to communicate that when you're communicating with someone via email or even a conference call compared to actually being there in real life yeah because you see something when, you know, uh, when it's on the stand, when a garment is on a stand is different to when a garment is on the body. And what the, sto- the moral of the story was, it was really frustrating to hear that there was a designer who had probably saved so much money to launch this new collection, gone about the right way. And somewhere through that line, because either lack of knowledge of re- using the right terms could not empathize with what the pattern cutter was trying to say and what the manufacturer overseas was trying to say and just decided at one stage that I'm going to wrap this up and I'm not going to go ahead with this collection. And oh, is that what really, happened? So they didn't even launch the collection no, in the No, because it was three months down, money gone, uh, the product was not up to standard and they just felt that it was it was not the right time. And that was so disheartening for me to hear because um, being a designer, that would be, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to launch, launch my brand now. And you go halfway there and don't get the product at the end of it. It can be quite disheartening. So that's how we decided to do these workshops, to use it as a communication tool so that designers can communicate with technicians, pattern cutters, manufacturers like us, or people in the industry and, you know, do things right from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think a point to make there is it it is sometimes easy to go to a manufacturer for a designer and get the first sample made or even get a quote for how much it's going to cost to get the sample made in London and be horrified. And I know that because I have people contact me saying, I've just been quoted, you know, X for getting this one coat sample made. But actually, it's a false economy to then get that sample made overseas because like the example you've just given, that person wasted all of their money. It probably cost less to get that sample made, but actually if they had no sample at the end of it, it was completely useless. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, What we tell um, our designers is use your development money to develop in UK, in London, Mm. ideally with us, because, you know, we've gone through the whole process with you. Um, 
and we will make you an amazing sample at the end of the day, which you can take wherever you want to take, whether you want to produce it in the UK, overseas, wherever, but at least you have the right proto for you to use as the communication tool to manufacturers everywhere else, because you can always get them back to the sample saying, this is what I want in my sample. Yeah, exactly. So how many of the designers that you work with do that, that use you to make the sample and then take the production overseas? Uh, we have a few emerging designers. We don't know if where they take, whether they produce it overseas or whether they produce it within the UK. Um, but we, if we cannot give them the price that their product needs to, for them to sell at the right price, we're more than happy for them to take our sample because that's how we. That's why we set up Maze London, sample being the heart of the studio. We want them to take our sample and take it somewhere else to another factory. And we always say that please compare your uh, cross proto or the cross sample that they, the factory will be making to our sample because you know you are happy with our sample. Um, you just have to make sure you need, need to find the right manufacturer who can work with your fabric, work with your patterns, understand your vision, and actually empathize with you as a designer and not just be looking at you as a business to business. Yeah. So at what point then did you decide to start doing production as well? Oh, um, <laughs> very good question. I was We were thrown into production. Uh, I don't think it was... Um, conscious decision uh, very naively we thought sampling would be keeping us busy all year round and yeah. um, we came to last may or july may it was the first production order was last may and um we had no work and we we're like I, oh okay. you should so, have come to me uh, i could have sent you loads diana we, we actually, i know loads we of- actually did go to make it british last year and uh, you know soaked it all in it was such a great yeah. experience and we we're like okay how can we you know, there's so much happening, like there must be work <laughs> around. Um, and fortunately, one of the one of our neighbors in the building um, has an amazing sustainable brand, um, all made in London. Um, she has this very cute store in Hackneywick and uh, sorry, in Hackney. And um, she was looking for someone to produce 50 shirts and because she used to produce in Portugal and 50 shirts was not a priority in Portugal. So she decided mm. to bring everything back to the UK. And uh, we met in the kitchen and I said, yeah, we produced next door. And she just walked in with rolls of fabric <laughs> and she's like, this is the fabric. I need 50 shirts by the end of the month. And um, that's what it was. So I remember I have a little video uh, from back in the day where I have been sitting for on the desk on my uh, cutting table sewing buttons for <laughs> two full days. Oh, really? So you ended up doing the production yourself yes so we did the production <laughs> ourselves so um, i mean as in you personally sat there no, and made no, all no, of it not me personally so i have a team i always had a team so my team uh, stitched i did i do the quality check and uh the hand finishing sometimes and the buttons but now we have uh now we have many more orders now we're making 500 units a month i cannot be sitting no, sewing no. on um <laughs> 500 shirts. So we have we have transformed so much from last May to this May, and um, you know, grown our team, doubled the space. We were in Hackneywick before, and now we're in Bethnal Green, and um, we have 11 machines and you know, eight eight people who are operating it at different times. So brilliant! That's why I love it when I hear of manufacturers and people like yourself that are growing their teams. So, what are your plans for the future for Maze London, then, Diana? So uh, we plan to continuously grow the way we are growing. Um, 
we are taking more production orders. Um, we have an excellent, excellent mentor who is uh, guiding us through this whole process and uh, gave me more experience to do production better and um, efficiently, I guess. Uh, one of the things I always tell our designers, I'm very transparent about how much time a dress would take. And this is very important for uh, designers to know because it's not just about the price. It should They should know how much time has gone into yeah. making a product. And um, this, this kind of gives them an insight of how much work their product is taking. Therefore, they should be selling it at the right price, which they think it deserves. And um, production for us is nothing but pure efficiency in a very, very organized form. So we have an assembly line, which um, kind of takes over most of the production. Production is definitely where we are headed. Uh, and now with the consistency, we are, hope, we are hoping to see a spike in our um, emerging and startup designers coming to us and using that service to help them grow in the way they want to grow. Brilliant. You're doing such fantastic things. Amazing. So where can everyone find you then? Where can they find Maze London? Yeah. How can they get in touch? Maze London is in Bethnal Green, which is a few minutes away from the station. We are on uh, the internet. It's uh, <laughs> mazelondon.com. And we are very active on um, uh, Instagram. The, I'm actually inspired by one of your last podcasts, which was uh, why um, manufacturing needs to have a good website and how oh, yeah. you were talking about how, show off your machinery, show off your stuff. And we were like, <laughs> of course. So we started taking like these little miniature stories on Instagram where we are showing off people at work and what they're doing without giving away um, too much of, you know, because we are very confidential with what we're doing. Yeah. So you'll see snippets of scissors uh, cutting. Oh, brilliant. And, I'll look out uh, for them. Please, yeah. So very inspired by you and some of the other podcasts that you've um, made in the past. So. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad that you've been listening. Diana, it's been really fantastic talking to you today. Keep up all the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.